Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to the Shamrock after Notre Dame's 44-21 victory over UNLV. I'm Pete Sampson here atop Notre Dame Stadium. Matt Fortuna in Chicago. Uh, Matt, this was this was kind of a hard game to reconcile in a lot of ways. Um, I think Marcus Freeman kind of summed it up pretty well afterwards when he said we're a good team that doesn't always play like one. Um, I don't think that we've seen Notre Dame as a quote-unquote good team enough this season. We saw it in a few moments today, uh, particularly moments involving Michael Mayer, Logan Dix, and Isaiah, and Isaiah Foskey. <laughs> but it was um, look, it was a strange game. Um, it was kind of hard to make sense of, like, okay, what you know, where's the season going from here? Because I think instead of maybe rewriting some of the narrative around Notre Dame or giving us insight of like this new direction, I think in 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 more instances, it sort of confirmed the concerns that you already had about Notre Dame, despite the margin at the end. Yeah, I, know, I, I don't know if I have any grand takeaways from all of this, other than Kenny, more Kenny Mayne, former UNLV quarterback Kenny Mayne, who knew that. Um, he and he alone was worth the price of the $10 Peacock subscription, along with Kyron Williams, who's like the greatest quote in the history of Notre Dame football. But, you know, Marcus Freeman spoke to a uh, NBC post game and, and got asked about execution first and foremost, since that was something he continually harped on last week. And, and he basically said it was better. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I agree. I mean, I, I would agree. I wouldn't guess I agree. Um, and then we heard him and Isaiah Foskey. And I think everyone who spoke afterward use, I mean, you, you, I think did a controlled find with how many times he said execution last week. Yes. I want you to do that with ur- urgency today. Cause it's going to be even more than that. There's um, a new buzzword every week, it seems. <laughs> new buzzword, new storyline. I, I will say, um, here, here's a takeaway, and I don't know if it's much takeaway. First game, a running back hasn't had a catch. It seemed like there was some semblance of an effort to like pass the ball strictly. Well, not strictly, because Michael Mayer is still around, but more to the wide receivers. Um, they had, I believe, their second best output um, in terms of catches. They had eight today. They had nine against Marshall. Um, only three different players or three different receivers caught eight balls. Um, but God, that, that Michael Mayer catch in the second quarter was just unreal. Like in some ways it was like the perfect throw. Cause it was where only he could get it and he still managed to get it. And then they still managed to not even score on that drive because it's an early football in 2022 we're talking about here. But it like, I, I would feel like that play followed by the Oh, four Oh, for four in the red zone right after that kind of sums up the state of affairs right now just like uh, enough high moments to get you really really excited and then reality just hitting you right in the face like that and you look up and hey UNLV got what 1.35 million dollars according to our friend Patrick Engel for this game the highest Notre Dame has paid out to a a, a buy game just yet, uh, yet. Um, and yeah they were healthier maybe they make this a game it was probably a game longer than it should have been and i think everyone was hoping to see we we, we previewed the stanford game by doing the over under on how many snaps steve angeli would get 
And I think we're still in a holding pattern there. Yeah, we haven't quite got to those eight yet. <laughs> I'm not right now. Can't eight this season. That was that was a bizarre moment in the game, and like I wasn't sure if I. At first, I thought I was going to lead with that. Um, Drew Pine scrambling for what I think 21 yards down by the goal line takes a shot, head, neck, shoulder pad, whatever. They did not call targeting. Marcus Freeman asked the officials to double check it. I don't know if they declined or just said, no, we're good. Uh, it was no targeting. After that, Drew Pine, I think, was wrote that down somewhere on my notes that are not in front of me. I think he finished before the Lindsay touchdown at the end. He was five and nine for 35 yards. Um, you know, Lindsay had that touchdown at the very end, but like of those six completions he had, three of them were the like you or I could have completed it because it's just like throwing the ball up in the air. Kenny right? Mayne could have, today could have completed. Yeah, it. Kenny Mayne could have completed those. Maybe not you or I, but that there just was. I get it. They're up, um, but it seemed to be. I don't. Can you can you be in damage limitation mode when you're winning? I don't know if you can, but like I kind of felt that's where Notre Dame was, where it's just like you know what. We know we're not going to throw the ball vertically. Uh, Pine missed Lindsey, who was sort of open. He missed Tyree, who was wide open. Um, you know the throws to Mayer, I would like to give him credit for, but if anybody, if that is thrown to any other tight end in the country, probably Bach Browers included, those are incomplete. Um, you know his pick should not have been a pick. That ball was on on the ground, um, but I don't know. I, I I felt like in some ways. Notre Dame kind of came to a bit of a realization today of like, all right, we are not great. Um, we are good in some ways and very susceptible in some others. And this is just how we're going to have to roll the rest of the year. Cause I just don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of changes coming the rest of the way. And if they kept playing like they played today over the final five games, it's difficult for me to see them winning more than two of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, 5.7 yards per play when you look at that final number is not inspiring at all against UNLV. And there's just... It's roughly their season average, I think, in the mid-fives. Which has not been great all season no. long. It did not get better against a, a by opponent. Um, second quarter, I think it was, Lorenzo Styles just drops a third down right over the middle. And it's just like, we're just still seeing those mistakes every game. And I just don't know, like, some point, you don't, like, you're seven games in, you're playing UNLV, like... I'm trying to, and I wonder how the coaching staff looks at this, like the balance of like, we'll eventually grow out of this versus like, this is who we are. Like it just keeps happening. And I, I'm curious. I mean, you know, we, we texted a little bit during the game about um, the scoreboard operator, apparently listening to Jessica on our podcast and, and <laughs> adding some excitement uh, with some modern music taste to the crowd. But what was the environment like there today? Because it, you know, I, I didn't expect it to be all that great and couldn't really tell a whole lot good or bad from, yeah, it was difficult to tell. I mean, it was better than last week just because Notre Dame scored points. Um, but the student section, 80% full, 75% full, fall, 70%. Fall, it is fall, it's fall break. It's fall right? break, right? Like, yeah. So I expected that a little bit. But I mean, it just sort of changes the mood. Um, sure. I thought sort of the general population crowd, uh, it was not full full. Um, but it wasn't like you saw big swaths of empty seats. Um, and I thought the atmosphere was fine. So, you know, they, 
while the game was not perfect or pretty in a lot of ways, like there was there were moments to cheer for, and I thought that the the crowd did a pretty good job doing that. So I you know, overall I thought that the atmosphere was fine. Um yeah, it was, you know, it, it it's UNLV. I, I think for a team that had just really fallen flat on their face against Stanford and has also lost a home to Marshall, like in some ways I felt like the the crowd and the atmosphere may have been more than you know what this team warranted for the season, um, based on how they played. So I gotta give credit to the crowd for for being here and and getting loud in a few moments when when it was beneficial for Notre Dame. Yeah, it was um strange game all around. I mean, I, I think when you looked at the first quarter, really, you're thinking, all right, like this is the Notre Dame UNLV game we thought we would get three months ago. Yeah. Um, I don't think they had scored a first quarter touchdown all season long before today. And no, they, they had not. 20, and they scored 23 points in the first quarter. Like, good job. This is like, you know, the, the Brian Kelly, I'm tired of being the nice guy thing. Like, here, here you go. This is the time it's it's going to be unleashed. But and, somehow only two touchdowns on five possessions. Like it was, it was bizarre to me that it was not thirty-one nothing after the first quarter or thirty-one seven. Uh, based, you know, two block punts. Um, they could manhandle UNLV if they wanted. They were taking vertical shots and hitting them. Like it felt like a game where they they could have really found or got back to who they were against. North Carolina or BYU or, you know, I, I take that back, get back to who they were against North Carolina. Cause I think in some ways they were similar to who they were against BYU move the ball really well between the twenties and then bogged down a little bit. Um, once you get in scoring position. So it's, you know, getting back to what you were saying earlier, it's, I, I don't, a coach would obviously never admit that there is a vibe of acceptance around the program, but after seven games, I think we sort of know who Notre Dame is. Um, it might not be who it's definitely not who you wanted them to be, whether you're a listener of this podcast or the head coach of the program. But I think that's sort of why they are. Um, the whole what Marcus said about we're a good team that doesn't always play good football, it doesn't always look like a good team. Like, I think that's just kind of who they are. Like they're they're more talented than what their output would show. Uh, and that that really comes back on the coaching staff. They got to figure out a, a different way or a new lever to pull or a new button to push. Cause I'm not saying Notre Dame should be in the mix for the college football playoff, just with like the roster material they have, but they should be where they are either. Um, and so that's, that's on the, the staff to sort of figure out, accept who you are, but then figure out how you can move past this, at least a little bit in the small picture this season, and then maybe reevaluate some things into, January, February, and beyond. Stanford's about to lose on the most insane one-handed catch ever and remain winless against FBS competition. More, more insane than their the catch they lost to against Oregon State? Uh, yes, if this one stays in. It was a Hail Mary that got caught at the one, and they're reviewing it now. I'm watching it on a legal stream. I did not legally stream Peacock. I borrowed a password for Peacock, but I, I watched it. Um, you said like they're, prob- like they're not playoff roster team but they should be better than they are. Like, I don't like <laughs> they could have worse talent than they have now. And you'll never convince me. They shouldn't be six and one right now. Like that, right. there's just no excuse for losing to Stanford. There's no excuse for losing to Marshall. Now I think we would have again, an ultra universe where the same guys, the head coach is last year and, and, and all that other stuff and all that other continuity. I think we 
we would be having a similar conversation now if if they had shown like equal or unequal trajectory for lack of a better term of all right they still got to go to a pretty good Syracuse team and they've still got really good Clemson and USC teams on deck like we don't think this team is ready um to like make a New Year's Six game could but, be I, don't you think the conversation like, would be at that point it would have spun toward like, well, why isn't the roster more talented than it is? Um, like we're not even to the point where I think we can sort of look at that part and like have a recruiting discussion. We're just at the part of like do better with what you have. Right. Um, Cause I don't, that's just not happening right now. Right. Uh, Stanford did win that got overturned. So two game winning streaks yeah. <laughs> momentum started in South end. Um, I know. I, I think we would ask roster questions, no question about it. I just think like this wouldn't be like a again. If I'm saying this in an alternate universe where we have a 13th year head coach, we're talking about here, and not a guy who's learning on the job who's going to get the benefit of the doubt. But you know, it would not be a fulfilling six and one. No, no, it would if not. they looked similar to the way they've looked so far. No, and I think those yeah, roster yeah. questions would be exacerbated because they've got the best recruiting receiving recruiting class at least in modern school history on the way or at least best since they've since brian kelly's been there um you know there there is there's a logical explanation i'm not saying it's acceptable and i'm not saying it's excuse but like you can point to how nerding got to this place on the roster from a receiving standpoint you can point to tangible steps this staff has taken to fix that and that's even though it's midseason and they're four and three and no one's particularly happy, like that's something. Whereas if it was six and one, same staff, Della Alexander's still here, probably not as good of a recruiting class on the way. Uh, it, w- it would feel very, very empty. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, again, no. yeah, I agree. six and one is better than four and three. Yeah, we, we would be here, we would be spending all podcasts, every podcast, talking about quarterback recruiting. Um, that's, but I, I don't think the offensive line would have improved the way that it has. I don't, I, I don't think Logan Diggs would have improved the way that he has. Um, you know, there are for how maddening I think this team probably is to watch for some people, like there are some real bright spots to it. Um, you know, Foskey showing up today. I get it. It's UNLV. Diggs showing up today. That's not just today. He's been showing up for the last few weeks. I mean, it's like special teams. When's the last time we saw a frontline player really impact special teams like that? Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, but it's like with Diggs, that, that was a situation where I think last August, I remember talking to people inside the program and they're just like, this guy is a future star for us. 
He gets COVID, sort of falls down the pecking order, takes a while to get back from that. But by the end of last season, you're sort of like, okay, he hurdled the guy at Virginia, but like what else? And then he he wrecks his shoulder in the spring game, kind of a slow start to the season, kind of gets held out, benched, or go to how I can't remember how it was described against Cal uh, after not playing well at Marshall at all. It like didn't affect the game in any way. Since then, I mean, he's really turned it on. You're sort of seeing some of the star potential that um, the staff felt like he had when he showed up um, or when he was going through his first training camp. Like, that's something that you can sort of get your program to build around moving forward. I mean, it's like you can sort of you can see bits and pieces of like, okay, what's Notre Dame going to look like next year and Marcus Freeman year two when they're going to have to like look good in games like this. They're going to have to not lose to Marshall, not lose to Stanford. Um, you know, Logan Diggs will be a big part of that. The offensive line returning will be a big part of that. They got to figure out a way to, you know, Michael Mayer won't be a part of that. Uh, and they, they have to figure out how to get more out of the receiver position. Cause it's just, it's, it's hard to make sense of that to me. Um, I thought Lorenzo styles was going to have a breakout sophomore season. That has not happened. Um, you know, today, two catches, 12 yards, one drop. Um, you know, I think Jaden Thomas is a fine rotational player, probably not a, a frontline guy. Tobias Merriweather was targeted in the end zone, couldn't connect on him. Definitely got more work today. That's a positive. You know, and Braden Lindsay won't be here, who is like, unfortunately, deserves a way better fifth year than what he's getting. Um, it shouldn't be, it should be very hard to overthrow Braden Lindsay, but. Tyler Buckner and Drew Pine both seemed capable of doing it. And like they, there's, if he just connects on a few of those, Braden Lindsay looks completely different to the fan base. I think the season may look completely different as well because it's, there have been opportunities for him. Like if he, if Pine can hit him last week against Stanford, they probably win that game. Uh, if Buckner can hit him against Marshall, they probably win that game. And then we're talking about a six and one team on a six game win streak. We're talking about how gritty they are, like how mentally tough they are going to Syracuse and Clemson. Um, the team is probably not materially all that different. Um, they just made two more plays. Um, but that's, so I think Marcus Freeman was asked a little bit tonight. Like it's difference between Florida, Florida state and Toledo last year, right? Yeah. It's like the margin for, for error is so small for this group. Um, that, it's it's just tough. It's tough to live that way um, if you're a college football program because you're not going to get the same thing every week from college kids. And man, that's um, it, it, it's. I'm not really sure where or how Freeman pulls it out of them to get more of a consistent performance because it's like you go back to Brian Kelly. Well, somehow he beat human nature. We don't know how he did it, um, but he got college kids to behave the same way every week. And man, that is that is a hell of a trick to pull off um you beat all this pretty good today too <laughs> what's that you beat all this pretty good today yeah too. the brian kelly charlie weiss jr grudge match um <laughs> and i was thinking brian kelly lane you went straight to the oc who of course you remembered was charlie weiss jr i forgot yeah that. or maurice crumb jr as well uh the dc down there former notre dame player um so yeah it just is it i'm not really sure when Freeman goes up to his office tonight and watches this back, he said last week he wanted answers um, and he was kind of stressed watching the game because he, he didn't have answers at the ready. 
I don't. I wonder if he will have answers when he watches this game uh, about like, man, why did this happen? Like, why are we missing the running back wide open in the end zone? Uh, why are we? He did know immediately why they turned loose the guy on the what the seventy-one yard run or seventy-four yard run at the beginning because like they pulled the center it was a bit of a schematic misfit. Um, apparently, UNLV tried it later in the game. They got stuffed, um, but I mean UNLV. They had more rushing yards on that one play than they had in either of their previous two games. They scored seven points against San Jose State. They scored seven points against Air Force. They scored 21 against Notre Dame. I, I'm i curious how you feel about this because I think that as much as we've mentioned it, it probably has been under-discussed. The fact that Notre Dame is virtually dead last in the country in red zone touchdown percentage defense. I think only Rutgers is worse in terms of the number of touchdowns they give up versus the number of red zone penetrations. And obviously we've talked about turnovers, but if you flip that around and we, and we were describing Notre Dame's offense that way, if they were only better than Rutgers in red zone touchdown offense, and they were at the bottom of college football or near the bottom in turnovers committed. Um, I mean, at that point you would, you would describe a broken offense. Um, yeah. When it comes to Notre Dame's defense, I feel like we had, they do a good job inside the or outside the twenties, but that is that's bizarre to me, and I, I don't know how Marcus Freeman sort of gets his head around what's going on with the defense. Because like, unlike offense, where clearly you're you're playing with a quarterback who you know is not an all world talent, I think on defense they have a lot of good players um, that they should be better in this in those departments than they are. Yeah, in some ways, it seems less than the sum of its parts, right? I mean, they're, yeah. they've been stretched thin up front, but <clears throat> three total turnovers after today on the season, which is still dead last in the country. No one had less than four entering today. Um, four block plums to three takeaways. Like, go figure. We, we ragged our special teams for however many years, last previous five years or so, and this comes and happens this year under Brian Mason. But um, it, it it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. And at some point, I don't know if they're being asked to, to dig into the well one too many times or what, but um, for, for a defense that has a lot of frontline players and that you would look at kind of in a nutshell and say, yeah, they're playing pretty good. You look at it at some of those numbers that we just mentioned and it, it, it's very head scratching. Um, and, and you can't, you got to play better than that. You got to be more of a difference making unit than that when your offense is struggling to move the ball the way it has so far. I mean, I know a lot of it was on one long run, but you know, they had 5.2 yards per carry today. That's more than Notre Dame had, you know, I mean, I know Notre Dame yeah. rushed but that shouldn't be happening. Um, I, I, I go back to your earlier point about mayor. I updated and corrected the, the season stats after the game. Mayor's at 44 catches on the year for 526 yards, six touchdowns. Notre Dame's entire wide receiving court does not include tight ends or running backs. 50 catches, 652 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, that, that Lindsay touchdown was a, a touchdown catch, um, even though it was a bit of a jet sweep. But um, yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of a one man show there, as 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 has been the case for quite some time now. You know, I don't don't think anyone I, they, they are who they are at this point in that regard. And I don't know how that gets fixed. I do think to your earlier point, like if you're looking for, for some silver linings or looking for some like developmental success stories, I would point to Logan Diggs first and foremost. I mean, Absolutely. when you watch the way this offense ran itself, struggled, whatever you want to say early in the season, I think, you know, a lot of our thinking was like, all right, like get a running back rotation, like cut things out. Like he's not, yeah, you know no, I mean, like, I, 
I wrote that it after, I don't know if it was after Cal or before Cal, like not that they needed to move on from Logan Diggs, but like in terms well, of Russia, cool. in terms of Russia efficiency against Marshall, he was 0 for 7. Like I'm, I don't remember the last time yards, the first I don't remember ever scoring a running back a zero before in terms of rush efficiency. And then, you know, these whatever happens next week, he's sick, misses the game. Like, um, and then it, you know, estimate plays well, you know, that we, we think the fumble at the very end of the game is just like, Oh, it's just a fumble. Like they're already up 20 points. Um, you know, that may be more indicative of something as he's had three fumbles, I think, in the last four games that they've all right. lost. It's, um, you know, Logan Diggs is suddenly Mr. Reliable. He's their short yardage back. I mean, he had a great, a great fourth down run last week against Stanford where he just like drilled the middle linebacker in the chest and drove him backwards. And like, he's changing my perception of what Notre Dame is in short yardage as like, oop. I'm not sure how they're going to pick this up to like, you can give the ball to Logan Diggs and trust something good's going to happen. Or you can snap it right to um, Mitchell Evans and do that too, which I don't know if that was a, a time you reached, but Durham Smythe did that for the Dolphins, I think, last weekend. Um, oh, you, yeah, you would I, I was trying to follow Reese the line probably of saw it. Um, but it just, it, you know, that's, that kind of creativity, you would like to think that maybe you don't need it against UNLV, but they needed it against UNLV. So I, I get why they, I get why they went there. But yeah, I just on your point of digs, like that's he's turning into one of the season's best stories. Um, not only because of the way he's playing right now, but you know because of where he came from the first couple of weeks of the year, coming back from the shoulder. He talked about after the game today, like you know if if you're thinking about the shoulder, that that's bad. Like you are that means it's affecting you and he's not thinking about it anymore. Like I just, I like the way he's playing. I, I even liked his attitude. I asked him about Drew Pine's confidence and right. You know, he's just like, I look him in the eyes, like you're QB one, like basically F and get it together. Let's go. Um, but then also like when he talked about Audric estimate and the fumble, like la- he said that, you know, last week I'm trying to pick him up this week. It's much more, Dude, if you want to play, you need to hold on to the ball. Like, there's not a, there's a little bit of a tough love there angle there, which I feel like is something you have to have some kind of leadership credibility to do that. Um, I think Diggs has run well enough over the last couple of weeks that he's kind of earned the right to say that kind of thing, to take that kind of harsher edge. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy when you look at the, the, the game log on him so far after those first two games and the TNP in game three 10 carries, 50 yards three catches, 65 yards, and a touchdown against Carolina. Okay, it's Carolina. 17 for 93 against BYU, and every one of those was necessary against a really good rushing defense. Nine for 57, which is 6.3 clip against Stanford, and then today, 28 carries, 130 yards. Have to, I mean, the last time a non-Kyron back carried the ball 28 times. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were having a hard time figuring out like when that was, if it's like, I don't I don't know if Josh Adams ever had a 28 carry game. I mean, he was he was a workhorse back in 2017 before that. You know, they've always sort of had the multiple backs happening. Um I don't know if it'd be like Ryan Grant and like early Tyrone Willingham or you're back to Al- yeah, Alan Pinkett, I think has the record at like 40 carries. Huh. Which is impossible to get your head around, but yeah, 28 carries is is huge and I mean, he runs with such physicality. It's funny, I think somebody asked him like you used to be a finesse back. Now you're a power back. And I thought he was going to take it as like finesse, like 
That's I hate Finet. And he's like, no, and he was like, no, 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 I'm not a power back yet. I don't weigh enough. Um, so I thought even his perspective on like finesse versus power and how it fits into his role was kind of refreshing. Um, he definitely, he definitely has got a little bit of a personality on him, which I, you know, sort of appreciate as someone covering the team. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's been a, a success story. I wouldn't say the success story, but he was a guy I definitely forgot about between the off season and early on in this season. And, uh, you know, whether it's through his practice habits or under Casamay's butterfingers or a combination of the two, the last couple of weeks, it's broke pretty nicely for Logan Diggs and has given him and, and this running back room, something to build off moving forward. Did you catch any of the Syracuse Clemson game? The, the, uh, only bits and pieces. Opponents. I saw that DJ Uyunglele got pulled or benched. Maybe he got, both. No, he got benched. Um, oh, yeah. Klubna came in the game. I saw his the late hit out of bounds. Um, he's as he was running right. I think it was a third down play where he was going to be short. Um, but you know, obviously automatic first down there. I just I'm not sure how I should process that result. Either can it both be like. Syracuse was fortunate to be in the game because look, you're not going to have a 90 yard fumble return for a touchdown every week. Or is it Clemson is sort of coming back to earth a little bit? Cause I felt like they were a program that was playing really good football lately. I'm not, you watch more of it than me. Like what's the takeaway? Cause like that's, that's the season for Notre Dame. Like these next two games are probably going to determine how you remember this year. Um, especially if they win either or both of them. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at it, um, even though you know, Hughes is on deck, so to speak, I was looking at it much more through Clemson and are they a real playoff championship contender slash does Notre Dame have a puncher's chance against these guys in a couple of weeks? And it was one of those perfect storm days, noon star, everyone's a little slow. It's 7-7 early. DJ loses the ball at the goal line, kind of shades of, I don't even want to say the name because it's going to give everyone PTSD here, but Syracuse picks it up, returns it all the way, uh, goes up 14-7. They end up going up 21-7 and, um, you know, had a chance. I mean, DJ was not playing well. He had two, he had lost fumble, two picks. He was playing extremely well coming into uh, this game this season. I mean, he had better, statistically speaking, and I'm saying this only statistically, he was better through seven games as second year as a starter than Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson were. Uh, he had more passing yards, more rushing yards, more passing touchdowns. Fewer it's always buoyed by his first start in Notre Dame Stadium. Well, no, no, just through this season. Oh, I mean. okay. Um, no, he was playing great this season, and then he wasn't. But um, Dabo made it very clear. It, it's an interesting situation, right? Like, talk about first world problems where you got a five-star who you put in and saves your season. But Dabo immediately afterward was like, yeah, no, DJ's our starter. And then he, you know, spoke later of the effect of like he was a starting pitcher who had a rough outing and we need, you know, kind of Brian Kelly ask, like, did he say, did he really that. say Steph Curry sometimes goes two for 22? Uh, he I, used Steph Curry analogy. Okay. Cause I was like, I don't think Steph Curry's ever gone two for 22 dab, <laughs> like dab. No, he, this. But he, he had a funny, oh, what was his, uh, he had a funny analogy for, um, for Syracuse and how they always play them close. I'm trying to find it, but, but I mean, Syracuse does, they beat them in 2017. They should have beat them in 2018. That was uh, the chase Bryce game when saves their mm-hmm. season Clemson wins all that year. Uh, and Syracuse missed a field goal last year, the buzzer that would have sent it to overtime. So they play them close a lot. Syracuse is good players. Look, they have a really good play caller. Robert and I, 
Uh, he's gotten the absolute most out of Garrett Schrader. Sean Tucker's an elite running back, uh, even in spite of that offensive line. And, you know, they, they got a few breaks their way. They were able to take a lead, and they weren't able to do a whole lot with it. Dino Babers has been ragged by that fan base for his clock management, and it really came home to, to roost today. I mean, he refused to call a timeout. Um, Clemson punted the ball with, I don't know, a minute or two left. Syracuse ended up getting the ball within – got it within the 40 or 30 with a chance, down six with a chance to win the game. Um, and they had no timeouts, and it got rushed. But D- Dino was just not particularly smart with his timeouts. Um you know, it's a weird team, and weird things happen for them at home more often than not. They're one of the few dome teams, maybe the only dome team in the FBS still, um, where they, they always are good for an upset or two every year, and this year playing with some confidence. But even <laughs> this week, I just thought Dino Dino was previewing the Syracuse game, and he made a point to remind everyone, hey, like we just got bowl eligible guys. Like This is noteworthy. And I want to be like... Coach, you're under. You're one of nine undefeated teams in the country. What the hell are you talking about? Like, you're going into Death Valley. Why are you celebrating bowl eligibility? We get it. You're keeping your job, but like, it just everything about that operation is is a little weird. And I think Notre Dame fans will, will see that for themselves if they go up there next week, uh, either noon or three thirty Eastern kickoff. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, if you told me Notre Dame played the way that they did against North Carolina and looks really good going to Clemson, uh, I mean, I. I guess I'd be a little surprised, but I wouldn't be that shocked. And if you told me they played the way they did the last two weeks and lost, wouldn't surprise me either. I mean, it's been one of those kind of seasons. And Syracuse, this was just their second road game of the year. Um, the first one was UConn, which doesn't really count in my opinion. So um, they, they've got a lot of breaks their way, and they couldn't quite take advantage of it today. Um, but Clemson's got two weeks to get healthy and get their QB situation figured out for Notre Dame. Dabo did say DJ's our starter, but like, you're Clemson, you got to feel, I'd say, pretty good knowing that you can put that freshman in on a right. and you can save your season like that. Yeah, sometimes programs have a five-star starter and a five-star backup. Um, it can make a difference when you need it. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm with you. The, Syr- the Syracuse game, I'm not sure that there's a result that would surprise me next week for Notre Dame. Like if you told me they blew out Syracuse or got blown out, I would be surprised by both only because it's less likely than a close game either way. But like nothing. I just don't think there's anything that could happen next week where I'd be like, unbelievable. Drew Pine threw for 380 yards and four touchdowns. Like, okay. I mean, I don't know. It's Syracuse or, you know, Sean, they're, they're running back, like ran for Sean Tucker ran for 350 yards. That wouldn't really blow me out of the water either. Um, I think it's gonna be a weird environment up there for Notre Dame. Um, You know, it's like, I, I still remember going there. I think it was my, third year on the beat in 2003 
Uh, Walter Reyes scored like five touchdowns against Notre uh, Tyrone Willingham's second team. And it, you were just like, oh, it, it got really, really loud there. I know that Syracuse and their fan base have been through a lot since. Not a lot of it good. But I've, I mean, I've covered some weird Notre Dame Syracuse games. And I just, I really think next week will be yet another in the series of weird Notre Dame Syracuse games. I mean, this was. Even Greg Robinson coming to Notre Dame Stadium and winning uh, at the end of the Charlie Weiss right. era was bizarre. Boy, Tim Murray really appreciates that shout out. Yeah, um, man. The, uh, Gr- uh, Grace Rader, our, our colleague um, from South Carolina, this was a Dabo quote. Dabo Sweeney quote, we're going to sacrifice a billy goat or something next time we play Syracuse. I don't know what it is. Some crazy stuff happens when we play these dudes. End quote. <laughs> All right. The billy goat. <laughs> Didn't think we get a Cubs, Cubs analogy here, but yeah, that not really what I saw coming on that one. Um, yeah, it just, but then beyond that, Clemson, I realize it's two weeks away, not one, and maybe we'll feel differently about Notre Dame after Syracuse than we do tonight. I don't think that's likely. That's a like I I would like to see Notre Dame's offensive line against Clemson's defensive line as sort of like a mini game, but beyond that, it's it's difficult to sort of find, okay, where would Notre Dame have answers offensively for Clemson's defense? Defensively, Notre Dame does not do well against quarterback run. They run Uyunglele more than they have before, in part because Klubnik's right there. Um, they don't ta- Notre Dame tough- has a lot of tackles, especially on quarterbacks and DJs. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, even there was one down, it, it got stopped short of the goal line after a review, but then right. they punched it in on fourth down. I feel like Notre Dame may lead the country in third and long conversions that were made good by quarterback scrambles. Um, They just don't do a good job of that. Um, And I think really the next two weeks, they have quarterbacks who have played a lot of football who are not going to feel sped up if they can't find anybody open after a couple seconds. And when they take off, they are sneaky enough to figure out how to get eight yards on third and seven or, you know, 14 yards on third and 12. That's happened before too. So it's uh Notre Dame's defense is, it feels like if you just looked at the numbers, you'd be like, all right, well, that defense is fine. Eh, or maybe even it's pretty good. But I feel like once you start, start peeling things back, the more concerning it gets about, who they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, because I don't think their weaknesses play very well over the next two weeks. And let's face it, they haven't faced it. Eh, Carolina's won every other game. I don't want to knock that win, but like it's Ohio State. It was six games they should have won. They didn't win them all. Syracuse will see Clemson, legitimate playoff contender. Finally played a bad game, lived to tell about it. This is their last road game. They had a very front-loaded schedule. Um, Clemson knows like this is they get through this, they can. Eh, South Carolina's rivalry game, but they can pretty much snooze their way to the ACC championship game, and that'll be their one-game playoff play-in. Um, and then USC. I mean, we're looking way down the road now, but that could also be a game of major consequence for one of those teams um, if, if the Trojans bounce back from last week's. Uh, Last week's close game, close loss to Utah, but it's a weird, weird game, weird season. Don't know what I thought I would learn from UNLV. 
and I feel that way even after watching it. Um, it was. If, I feel like it con- confirmed concerns more than it shed like new light on where, where the team's going. Um, which is not really. I, it was funny. I, I was there was somebody on Twitter was like, "This is a no win situation for Notre Dame. Like everything to lose, nothing to gain." I'm like, "What? That's like an anti competitive uh, perspective. Like you can always learn something. There's always something to be gained." Yeah, I wouldn't. But I'm not sure how much Notre Dame actually did gain. Um, you know, it's not a no-win situation. They won the game, but um, it just it made me. I came away from today more concerned about the rest of the season than I was when the day started. I thought at the end of the day, I'd be like, okay, I can see how you know eight and four if they get it together a little bit. Like you would see like some embers of like a functional offense. I thought the defense would play really, really well in part because UNLV is so down offensively and, but that didn't happen either. So it's like I depart Notre Dame stadium today being like, man, I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't, something just feels off about Notre Dame right now. And I'm not, not sure I really can put a finger on it, nor do I, I'm not sure if Marcus Freeman can put a finger on it. No, if he could, I think he would fix it because it's a better team than shown so far. I don't know if I'd be as, as if I'm quite maybe because you were there, but like I don't, not as down. I guess coming out of it, like it's a win and every win yeah. right now, good thing for them. Um, I thought they showed a a sense of urgency for you know to steal an analogy um, in the first quarter that had lacked pretty much all season long. Mm-hmm. We're not able to sustain that. Um, and found something on special teams, but yeah, as far as like eliminating the weaknesses. Uh, I don't know if we got a whole lot of clarity in that regard today. Yeah, I just didn't feel like it was a game where Notre Dame like got right in some ways that they kind of needed to or could have. Um, it was a good opportunity to do that. I'm not really sure they came through in that regard. So, yeah, it was an odd one. Um, it was an odd one for sure. But uh, Notre Dame comes out of here. They're 4-3 and three after a 44-21 win over UNLV. Heading to Syracuse next weekend. You're not going to be joining me on that trip, are you? It's- uh, no, I will... Uh- I'll be at the big house. Michigan oh, State, Michigan. Lovely. Okay. That should be a, a cooler heads will prevail there for sure. Um, Dude, yeah, of course they give both teams a bye week so they can talk even more trash yeah. to each other. <laughs> I think people it. have been tailgating already for that game. Um, Did you know under- Jim Harbaugh has yet to beat Mel Tucker? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, and then yeah, the Clemson after that, but yeah, it, Notre Dame, I do feel like Next week will kind of be a point of departure one way or the other for Notre Dame season. Like if they if they can get it, then they're going to finish with a winning record, and maybe they feel good about themselves going to Clemson. If they don't, it feels like much more up for grabs the rest of the way. Um, you say winning record? Do you mean six and six or seven and five? I mean seven and five. If they beat Syracuse, okay. they'll finish seven and five. Um, yeah. And but they will feel like maybe they can go eight and four. Um, I think if they lose to Syracuse, well, technically they would not be condemned to a six and six record. I don't think that they will sort of see. I, I just don't think they will be good enough to do it. Yeah, during their off week when we did our over unders, I think you settled on nine and three. I settled. Yeah, on I was way off on that one. Way off. Well, but you could still be right uh, technically. Um, <laughs> and I said, well, if we split the difference, we'll both be wrong, and they'll be eight and four. Uh, I'm feeling, I guess, I don't know if I'd say I feel great about seven and five, to be honest, but I'm feeling better about seven and five than you are at nine and three. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I think that's a fair, fair statement. So, <laughs> on that big picture, slightly depressing note, we will wrap up this episode of the Shamrock. Um, 
I'm Pete Sampson. He's Matt Fortuna. Uh, we'll be back next week previewing Syracuse, talking some big picture stuff. Um, and then, of course, we'll be with you. Or I'll be in the care. What's it? JMI Wireless? Um, JMA, I think. JMA? Who knows? I don't know if the signs are up yet either. I think they're... Yeah. Like, I'm still the we'll carrier do, dome to me. Well, well, there's, you know they're going to do something for Notre Dame. They've, everyone who hosts Notre Dame does a big thing. And, and Syracuse in particular has not had an actual home game against Notre Dame in, I think, 19 years. So Yeah, there'll, I was there. There'll be something there. <laughs> Maybe we'll honor my return you, to the, uh, the dome. You, Jim Beheim and Carl Anthony were probably there. Oh, that'd be lovely. Really lovely. So something to look forward to next week. So uh, until our midweek podcast, he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock. Shamrock.